Welcome to the Eden Podcast, where we think again about the Bible on women and men, and we start with a correct understanding of what happened in the Garden of Eden back in the beginning. The work of the True 316 Foundation is based on the research of Dr. Joy Fleming, who wrote the book Man and Woman in Biblical Unity, Theology from Genesis 2 to 3. Listeners like you are joining us as members of the True 316 Foundation and support the work to true the verse of Genesis 316 and the seven key passages on women and men. It turns out, when Genesis 316 becomes clear, all the other passages become clear too. You can learn more at our website, true316.com. That's tru316.com. And at the end of this episode, we'll tell you about a special gift we have for new members. And now, Enjoy today's episode of the Eden Podcast. For season 11 on the Eden Podcast, we're going back in time and playing audio that we've never played for you before. I was doing a private Zoom series of sessions with a number of students, and I used PowerPoint slides that I referred to as we went along. You can see these presentations in full on our YouTube channel, I'd love to have you subscribe. It's simply True316. That's T-R-U-316. And now, let's get started. This session is about the intro to What About Church Leaders in 1 Timothy chapters 1, 2, and 3. We're brought to you by our websites, tru316.com, true316.com, and genesis316.com. We are so glad you're here. I love to study the scripture, and I'm thrilled to be able to present it to you. This is based on my doctoral dissertation research, which was uh, included 1 Timothy chapter 2 and Ephesians chapter 5. After working on that and my wife's doctoral dissertations, we uh, came up with some think again steps for Bible study that whether you're working on the doctoral level or you're simply reading through the scripture yourself, these are very helpful steps for you in studying the Bible. And so let me run through them for you now. Steps one through six. Pick a verse, any verse, and then uh, as you will wonder about that verse, please wait a minute and take some time to think again about the context of the passage. Once you've studied that context, and we'll do that coming up, then two, think again about the content of the passage itself. And that means you have to figure out uh, where does that start and where does it end? It's not always obvious, doesn't always correspond to chapter and verse breaks either. Number three, think again about the key image or the key idea that you might have in your passage. Number four, think again about the verses of special interest now that you really want to do. And then five, think again about the points of application. What do you do with what you've learned? And that's why scripture is presented to us. And then six, think again about what the passage does not say. In some cases, there's a lot of excess baggage we have to get out of our minds. And that is the case in what we'll be looking at today. Things that we uh, find that the passage wasn't talking about after all. The value of our Think Again study in this session is based on what I found from my wife's doctoral research on Genesis 2 and 3. Dr. Joy Fleming did uh, seven hours, seven hours, no, seven years researching this topic, 
and her doctoral dissertation was entitled A Rhetorical Analysis of Genesis 2 through 3 with Implications for a Theology of Man and Woman. She presented it at the University of Strasbourg in 1987. She made clear that one, in Genesis 3 especially, neither the man nor the woman was cursed by God after the great disobedience. And two, the woman who did not rebel on purpose was a second degree sinner, whereas the man who sinned on purpose was a first degree sinner. And that makes a big difference when you look at 1 Timothy 2, because Paul is recommending treatment after disobedience, and he recommends gentle treatment, and he recommends gentle treatment because he had been treated gently, and Eve had been treated gently. Before I had those insights from my wife in her dissertation, I did not understand what was going on fully in 1 Timothy 2, and I think these insights will be a big help to you too. Well, can we start with just one verse? Some people come to chapters 1 through 3 of 1 Timothy, and they say, well, I've got one verse I want to study. It's chapter 2, verse 12. After a quick reading of that one verse, they want to move on to these very helpful questions that normally are are sufficient. What's it say? What's it mean? How can I apply it to my life? In simple passages, for example, in a narrative, this is a fine way to proceed. But in a complex passage, we must warn not so fast. It's best to figure out what 1 Timothy is about. There are so many questions. There are so many disagreements on what 1 Timothy 2 has to say that we really do have to carefully go through the, the six Think Again steps. So we won't be looking at just one verse as we start. We'll be looking at all of 1 Timothy. Why ask about the whole book? Well, it gives us the why of our target verse. We'll already know before we get to that verse why Paul is writing it. It may be that the verse is talking about what you're looking for, but a verse may be about something a bit different or even something completely different. It can get embarrassing to take action on a verse you have misunderstood. Like Patch, the guy who misunderstood Jesus' comment on plucking out one's own eye. Yes, I do like uh, to be playful in my Bible studies. So, why look at all of 1 Timothy? Well, this is a letter written by Paul to Timothy. Timothy was correcting some of the teachers at Ephesus who had gone astray. This letter is written in three parts. And do you notice that? The parts don't follow the six chapter breaks we know today. And then once we figure out there's three parts, which part does 1 Timothy 2.12 fit in? It makes a big difference. Jewish writers often place their main points at the center rather than at the beginning. So with these big parts in 1 Timothy, where does uh, the center come? Well, the three sections use the following phrase as a high point. Faithful is the word, the Greek is pistos ha logos. It is found in 1 Timothy 1.15. This phrase is also in 3.1 and 4.9. Once we know where the high points are and how many sections there are, we need to ask, well, specifically, where do they begin and end? And we know that chapter 1 begins at verse 1, but it ends at 117. Section 2 begins with 118 and ends in 316. Section 3 begins at 41 and ends at 621. What does faithful is the word mean in 1 Timothy? 
In 115, Paul makes a wordplay. He uses this phrase in two ways. Here's his pun. One, Jesus is faithful. But then he takes it to mean this. Here is a saying that's faithful or a helpful saying. In 3.1 and in 4.9, the first meaning about Jesus being the faithful one is the only meaning that is used. In many versions of modern Bibles, they look for a second meaning. They look for a saying, and they even put quotation marks around neighboring words, but there really are no sayings in the context. I remember taking a course from Dr. John R.W. Stott, and he talked about where those sayings might be, and he talked about the frustration people had because they couldn't find them for the second and third usage. Well, that's all because people have missed the first meaning of the wordplay. Pistos halagos means, above all, Jesus is faithful. But because they assume Paul used the second meaning, which would be uh, about a saying, and they assumed that he did that all three times, they got confused. And as a result, they've misunderstood the key phrase that unlocks the three sections of 1 Timothy. The challenge of any phrase with a double meaning, and, and, and therefore one with a potential pun, is you have to notice that more than one meaning is possible. You have to accept that multiple meanings may be intended but may not be used. And then you have to find out which meaning or meanings is being used. Let's look at the phrase. Faithful is the word. And I think we can capitalize that. The last word in the phrase is well known. In Greek, it's logos. You know that from John 1, verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. That's always logos. In the beginning was the logos. The first Greek word can mean then either faithful or trustworthy. Which meaning it is depends on which meaning of logos is being used. Is it a slogan or a well-known truth? So pistos, faithful is the logos. Jesus is faithful or a saying is trustworthy. Meaning number one stands alone as a complete thought. Faithful is the word. Meaning number two does not stand alone. A saying must accompany it. Trustworthy is the saying, and, and here it is, and then you, then you quote it. Since he's using this potentially punny phrase in his own letter, Paul may use the phrase pistos halagas however he wishes. It's likely that he and Timothy had made puns on the words in this phrase many times as they worked together and listened to each other's sermons, and so Paul had fun with it as he wrote it to Timothy. The first time Paul uses this pun-filled phrase in 115, he keeps Timothy guessing. Paul's primary meaning is that Jesus the Logos has been faithful to him, and Jesus has made Paul into a faithful servant. But Paul intended a second meaning too, and then he attached the specific saying to it. And when you boil it down, both options of the pun focus on the central place of Christ. The second and third time Paul uses his potentially punny phrase in 3.1 and 4.9, it's easy for Timothy to spot which of Paul's meanings is being used. It's the primary meaning. Faithful is the Logos. Faithful is Jesus Christ. Just as Jesus made Paul fit for service, Jesus could make wayward overseers fit for service in 3.1, and Jesus could keep faithful or keep Timothy faithful, 4, 9 to 10, in his own difficult ministry. Difficulties in understanding 1 Timothy have arisen when the primary sense of the pun in 115 has been overlooked. 
Complications have arisen when people have looked for an actual saying in or attached to 3, 1, and 4, 9, because in these two instances, Paul is using only the primary sense of the phrase. If anyone needs to find an applicable, trustworthy saying in those cases, if they really want to know and they have to have one somewhere, well, they can just back, go back and look at what there was in 115. Well, can we use as a target verse 2.12? No. We're not ready to study it right now, but I want to give you a sneak preview. It turns out that verse 12 is only the second half of a longer sentence. The sentence starts in 2.11 and runs through 2.12. There's a key phrase repeated at the beginning and the end of the whole thing, in silence, en hesukia. This inclusio indicates the start and the end of a single idea. So verses 11 and 12 go together, and you have to use them both. What about the where? Where in 1 Timothy 2 do these verses fit in? They are only one of two parts focusing on false teachers. The section runs from 2, 8 to 15, and the applications in 1 Timothy 3, beginning with the high point in 3, 1. Let's go back to the big picture. There are three keys to the big picture of all of 1 Timothy. One, there's the mission or the reason for the letter itself. That's, that has to be spotted. And I found people usually see this one. But I've found many studies on 1 Timothy that don't get number two and certainly not number three. And I was excited when I came across it myself. Number two, the faithful logos Christ is the turning point of the three major sections in the letter. And three, the outline using Paul's three, own three sins follows point by point uh, what his sins were. They, they're lined up in a row in section two. What about the mission? Paul recruited young Timothy to join his missionary team early in his second missionary journey, Acts 16.4. Timothy was already well instructed in the things of God by his mother and grandmother, Lois and Eunice, 2 Timothy 1.5. At times, Timothy worked at Paul's side. At other times, he was left behind or was sent ahead to churches that needed attention while Paul was busy elsewhere. Finally, Paul left Timothy in Ephesus, the great city of Asia Minor, where the church had been growing and growing and growing for some time. A number of Christian workers had labored in Ephesus, Apollos, Paul, Priscilla, and Aquila. It was here that Paul assigned Timothy to correct certain persons who had gone astray and cause trouble through their false teaching and bad behavior. Thanks for listening to the Eden Podcast, brought to you by the members of the True 316 Foundation. Research into the Old and New Testaments by Dr. Joy Fleming and Reverend Bruce C.E. Fleming forms the base of all our work. Joy is a former Old Testament professor and is a practicing licensed psychologist. Bruce is the author of the Eden Book series, which starts with Book 1, The Book of Eden, Genesis 2-3. to we invite you to become a donor member of the True 316 Foundation as together we seek to true the verse of Genesis 316 and related passages. When you become a member, we'll send you an autographed copy of the Book of Eden. Sign up today by going to true316.com member. That's tru316.com member.